Welcome to Life Beat. I'm your coronavirus negative host, Chris Gass, Rights Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Joining us today is our Education and Events Coordinator who's struggling not to lose it, Emily Kroll. Emily, welcome <laughs> to Life Beat. It's a weird week. We're going to go with it. Happy October. So yeah, everyone today is speculating who in Washington, D.C. does have the coronavirus and who doesn't. I, prom I told Emily I, I wasn't going to rant about how our national politics is kind of like a soap opera, um, but uh, we'll count this as a little rant. Moving on, today we have a couple important topics to talk about, uh, also coinciden uh, coincidentally involving the presidency. Uh, first, we're going to talk about, of course, the Supreme Court nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to replace... Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away uh, quite a few days ago now. Uh, and then we're going to talk about a myth that's been circulating out there. Uh, yes, indeed, Jimmy Carter is alive. Uh, so we'll cover that when we get there. His birthday um, is today, isn't it? Oh, yeah, he just turned... 96. 96, so happy Jimmy birthday. Carter. 90, still with us, 96 years young. Um, so, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, Emily, what do you think? Um, my, my general synopsis is that she is a very strong, very intelligent, fantastic human being, and she would make a very good Supreme Court justice. She is very well qualified. She is, she's been a Notre Dame law professor for some time and has already gotten a ton of rave reviews from former students, uh, I was kind of amazed to see CBS gave uh, 10 minutes to one of her former students, Laura Wolk, is it? I think is her name. Uh, but she's the first female blind uh, Supreme Court clerk. And the second one overall, I guess there was a, a, a blind male uh, Supreme Court law clerk in the past, which is quite the challenge when you think about it because the law clerks are basically the personal researchers for the justices and uh as anyone anyone who's done law school knows uh, i have not i have i've done law school, no, done law school no never been tempted either <laughs> it's it's miserable uh because if you have any friends that go to law school they kind of disappear for a couple of years and you kind of wonder if they're still alive so uh but the supreme court law clerk is a very prestigious position uh and this uh blind uh law clerk was crediting her mentor uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett for helping her get there. She was a clerk in 2019 for Clarence Thomas. You know, interesting aside, if you go through the list of uh, law clerks, there's quite a lot of names you'd recognize. Like, even, not even necessarily judges, but uh, elected officials, uh, commentators... Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, both. Oh, did, 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 uh, did Ted, Ted Cruz, Cruz was, was a... This? Okay. Or he was a court advocate. He was a court advocate, not a clerk, okay. I think. What? What's a clerk? What's a court advocate? They argue cases before the Supreme Court. So oh, he, like the his okay. first, he did the, uh, the um, Bush against Gore case in Florida when that went to the Supreme Court. Oh, that wasn't controversial. No, not at all. And we, it's not like we will see a replay of that at all this yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I guess that figures into the Supreme Court nomination, but mm -hmm. we'll see. Um, so a very well-qualified Amy Coney Barrett from her legal background as a law professor. She's also ta uh, taught at a couple other schools, I believe George Washington and uh, maybe Georgetown. Not quite sure about that. Um, but she's a longtime uh, professor at Notre Dame. Uh, she served on the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for a couple of years now. Of course, her nomination was very famous because it was uh, California Senator Dianne Feinstein who took her to task for being Catholic and believing in Catholic things and said, the dogma lives loudly within you, um, which is a pretty unique sort of quote that's probably never been said in the rest of human history. So uh, uh, let that stick, you know. It's kind of like a badge of honor for her now. Yeah. Feinstein's the one who likes to cause trouble with Supreme Court nominations, though. Yeah, yeah. well, and, and <laughs> yes, there's a famous picture of her cornering Lisa Murkowski, uh, kind of like staring her down. Oh, geez. I think it was, I think it was the Gorsuch nomination, or maybe it was the Kavanaugh nomination. You start to get shell-shocked after all these uh, nominations, and they just kind of all run together. Um other than just being a judge and, a, you know, she clerked in the Supreme Court for Antonin Scalia, who during her nomination press conference cited as the person who she would follow closely to in terms of judicial philosophy, and that makes sense. Antonin Scalia, of course, was an advocate of, I've heard it, you can call it originalism, textualism, whatever, but it's just that, that radical idea, Emily, that the law says what it says. Shocking. Uh, dangerous. Imagine what happens if, if we actually took laws for what they meant when they were written and not whatever we just decided to make up these days, you, you know? You mean like the legislator making laws and then the Supreme Court enforcing them and not making their own laws? Wow. What's, what a, a, nice... le what's a legislature? Oh, that's true. They're just the people who argue all the time, aren't they? Do they do anything? And they write laws and stuff? Wow, who would have thought it? But do you mean like, but I don't know, we live in Michigan. Okay, let's not, let's <laughs> not start on Governor Whitmer. Oh, um, no. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Well, the everyone seemed to be very receptive to her uh, in terms of pro-life elected officials, senators, even some senators who you might wonder how they might think about it. Uh, the two that stick out to me, of course, are Lindsey Graham, um, who, along with his old friend, the late Senator John McCain, he was an original member of the Gang of 14. You remember about 15 years ago when the Democratic senators were filibustering uh, George Bush's nominees and they wanted to try to find some grand compromise to block some but let others through. So... Senator Graham was always a kind of a guy who wanted to be nice, and he voted to nominate Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor. And I remember those press conferences where he's like, just like sweet talking them, and it's so great, and you're so wonderful. And that yeah. Lindsey Graham is dead, and he died during the Kavanaugh nomination. So I would encourage everyone, if you want to go back and listen to Lindsey Graham uh, and his speech during Kavanaugh's nomination hearings. Um, which was insane, How, the change in him, but 
I guess he just realized that the other side has no interest in reciprocating norms, quote unquote norms, or uh, just <laughs> being nice and fair. Uh, and he said, I hope y'all never get power. That's what he said, you know, being the South Carolina senator. And so Lindsey Graham is 100% for getting this nomination through. Uh, the other one that everyone's kind of look, looking to is Mitt Romney. And I was surprised, Emily, to see Senator Mitt Romney say, let's vote now. It was surprising. He didn't say he would vote in, in affirmation. He didn't say it was a yes vote, but he said... It sticks with the traditions and norms and history in the United States to have a president and a Senate in the same party confirm Supreme Court justices right up in the run-up to an election and even in the lame duck session after an election it's happened. So it, it, that was surprising to see him do that. We'll see how he, he decides to vote, <laughs> but um, hopefully it'll be a, be a yes vote. But with Mitt Romney, eh, we can kind of uh, close our eyes and pray and hope he does hope he does what we hope he wants to do. I'm just glad we don't have Senator Jeff Flake in the Senate anymore. <laughs> you know, you, you don't want to be m insulting, but his n last name was just perfect because he would just, every day it was, I want to do this, or I want to do that, or I want to do this investigation, um, which is kind of silly because if you remember in the Kavanaugh nominations, there was the one... Uh, serious accusation from Christine Blasey Ford and the rest of them were ridiculous like he was on a boat and he did this weird thing or he was at this random party that no one else says he did and uh, just ridiculous ones that they knew about and were sitting on for months and they just decided to fire at him like a shotgun and if anything it kind of backfired on them I'm so glad that Jeff Flake isn't around to keep messing with it. So it seems uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell seems to have everyone except for Susan Collins and uh, Lisa Murkowski on board. And uh, they have a 53-vote majority, am I right? Yes. So they have uh, 51 theoretical votes to confirm. We'll see if Mike Lee makes it back for the vote. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so Mike Lee tested positive for the coronavirus today, but... Um, you only have to quarantine, I believe it's 10 days now, and the hearings are scheduled on the 12th. So He's got time. He should be back before even the vote. He should be back because the hearings will take a couple days. There probably won't be a vote until the end of the month. You know, I did see a reporter speculating immediately today that, oh, they're only down to 50 votes with Mike Lee out, but, um, I mean, I'm fine if they want to go real fast on this because... Uh, Judge Barrett just did that nomination hearing for the mm -hmm. appeals court a couple of years ago. But, you know, it takes some time. They're going to go, and there's going to be the theatrics in the committee. It'll be interesting to see how they want to attack her, because they will attack her. Mm -hmm. Now, already we've seen um, she's a white supremacist for oh, she's adopting a white children from Haiti. Yeah, she's a colonist also a for doing that. colonizer. White, yeah. Um... Let's see here. Uh, what else have they attacked her? Oh, uh, the latest thing last couple of days is she signed uh, a lot of affiliates of ours and pro-life pro groups throughout the year, usually around Roe versus Wade. They'll do like a little newspaper ad where people will sign and say, you know, I, you know, I support unborn children. 
and uh, St. Joseph County, Indiana, the Indiana Rights Types affiliate there did something like that, and her and her husband signed that, and so that somehow got turned into she wants to throw women who've done IVF into jail. Yeah, no idea. I, I don't know how they got there from there. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting, just the, a basic criticism of that would say that, well, if you have any views at all that aren't abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy, you should be disqualified from serving on the federal bench. I mean, most of America doesn't agree that abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy should be legal. So can only a certain minority of Americans who completely agree with the Senate Democrats on their view on abortion be eligible to serve as federal judges and the majority of Americans can't? Is that what they're getting at? And then somehow... Now, IVF is problematic because uh, as it happens in uh, most countries, including America, not all countries, uh, Germany has a law that requires that every... A uh, child that is created by this process has to be implanted in the womb and given a chance to be born. Um, there are a lot of cases where they don't do that, and that's why we had this whole embryonic stem cell research debate is because we have these uh, human embryos that are alive uh, that can be adopted out and still have life. Uh, they're still alive and still have their lives before them. Uh, that's why we had this whole issue because there were enough in there that researchers wanted to use them. Um, so I, I mean, that is an issue that pro-lifers weigh in on. I, I can't ever recall saying any pro-lifers saying throw women who've done IVF in jail. No, <laughs> it's not ringing a bell. I can't, yeah, I can't recall, um, 17th century colonization efforts involving adopting children from Haiti either. Um... What else have we heard so far? Uh, the that she is one of the people who inspired the Handmaiden's Tale because of oh, the yes. praise group yes. that she's part of. Right. Yeah. She's so she's part of a group that's uh, it, there's a lot of Catholics in it, but it's ecumenical uh, in terms of uh, Christian denominations, and they basically live kind of like I don't want to call it a commune or a, like a kibitz or something, but they, you know support each other mutually uh and i don't know don't you know i'm part of a lacrosse club i guess i can't serve as a judge because our lacrosse you know any lacrosse related issues yeah and so the title for i forget what the title for the men were and the title for the women in this groups were handmaidens um which is a reference to mary the mother of jesus not to margaret atwood's ridiculous book which since we're talking about IVF and artificial reproductive technologies you know this is really funny at the National Right to Life convention there were those people in the handmaidens outfit walking around protesting it and you know it was so funny because if you had to pick a group of people on the entire planet earth who are more opposed to gestational surrogacy which is the kind of the major plot point in the handmaidens tale or is these women are used as breeders if there was a group of people in the entire world more opposed to it, I don't think you could find anyone other than the National Right to Life group because surrogacy is a serious issue uh, involving, especially if the parents 
don't like the child who maybe tests positive for a disability or a medical condition, they demand uh, he be aborted, he or she be aborted. Um, it's a whole nother mess. But as you can see, we've gotten so far off the beaten path here. We have. Uh, with all this ridiculousness. Oh, my favorite one to finish is... Uh, she can't serve as a Supreme Court justice because she's seven. She has seven children. Oh yeah, that was and fun. can't doesn't have enough time to take care of a family. <laughs> this from the same people who. Well, like I guess it makes logic. That's why we need abortion. We need to kill our children so women can be in the workforce. Um, but and heaven forbid if there's a woman, a successful woman, like incredibly successful, who is also a mother with multiple children. And for all purposes, it's doing great. So, I it's if you have someone that goes against the narrative that you're pushing to convince women to abort their babies, then you have to attack them because you're telling people that you're telling women specifically that they can't succeed with children. And we have multiple examples, and and Judge Barrett is one of them. That it's a lie. You can. So, in. To sum up, people are crazy, and a person who served as a Notre Dame law professor for many years, who served as an appellate judge, and who seems to be uh, well-qualified, a mentor to many, uh, there should be no reason, and who actually believes that the role of a judge is to decide based on what the law says and not just to make something up, um, sounds well-qualified to me, put her right through. Um, of course, you know, the Senate has their duty to as advice and consent, and they will do the hearings and whatnot, uh, no matter how much they're rooting for Mike Lee to get the sniffles and have to not show up for we a We can wrap weeks, him in a hazmat but... suit with an oxygen tank. We'll get him there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, real PPE, not just these cloth men. Yeah, like full-on, you know, like outbreak movie, Dustin Hoffman. We, we can uh, even put a tie on it. Stop the Motaba virus PPE. To dress up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, man. So uh, the hearings are scheduled to begin on October 12th in the Judiciary Committee. So... This is how it works. The Judiciary Committee will sit and meet. Half of them will talk about how great she is. The other half will, uh, I don't know, criticize her adopted children or something. Um, or how she signed an ad in a newspaper um, that says unborn, child, unborn children are human beings. The horror! Um, and uh, then after the committee votes, then the full Senate will have the hearing. If she gets a majority vote... Then she passes through, and she is the ninth member of the United States Supreme Court. And we'll now have, can you believe that President Trump uh, will have nominated three Supreme Court justices? You know, we were telling people that in 2016, he may have the opportunity to nominate two, maybe three, and people were like, three, yep, three. Things happen, and that was before 2020. Yeah. <laughs> That's when 2016 was 2016. It's a good um, thing I didn't fill out a bingo card for this year because I would ha not have one. Yeah. So we'll keep you updated on how this goes. I'm sure that Senate Democrats are going to do everything in their uh, power. They don't have a lot, thanks to Harry Reid, to hold this nomination up. That would be former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, who got rid of the filibuster to push through a bunch of Obama nominees, not ever thinking that someone from the opposition party would have the majority in the Senate. 
Oops. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Oops. Um. Another norm, Emily. Those norms. Mm. We're hear a lot of talk about norms over the next few days. Uh, so we'll keep you updated. Uh, to close it up real quickly, though, just uh, we didn't mention it, but she has ruled as an appellate judge on abortion three times. Um, there was an Indiana law that said you had to uh, ban, uh, it was a ban on abortions targeted for a child who has disability, and also uh, the child has to be, um, their body has to be disposed of in a humane manner. So not even really an abortion ban. Uh, and uh, she ruled in the right. The Supreme Court upheld the uh, the humane disposition of fetal remains portion of Indiana's law. Ruled on another one saying that sidewalk counselors have First Amendment rights. That should be no real surprise there. I mean, you have a, a you have the right to talk to somebody on the street, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's open and shut. And then the third one was. Um, is uh, escaping me at the minute. But basically, uh, she's ruled, as you would expect, an, Anth uh, an Antonin Scalia to rule. The First Amendment is the First Amendment. There's nothing in the Constitution about abortion. Um, and so uh, we'll see what happens. It's going to be a roller coaster. Strap yourselves in. It's going to be worse than the Kavanaugh hearings. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope you're wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Predictions, I should have given them up after 2016, but it's going to be as bad as Kavanaugh times Clarence Thomas times Robert Bork back in the 80s where those earlier two where Joe Biden tried to and succeeded in taking out Robert Bork and tried to with Clarence Thomas. So strap yourselves in for a fun ride. Sounds like I want to call in sick for the next month and a half. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I'm feeling go hang out with President Trump and you'll be good. No, okay. That's not right. We can joke because everyone is in uh, good health so far. Thus far, um, yes. Of course, we uh, you know wish the President and the First Lady and Senator Mike Lee and everyone else well. Um, hopefully, we're, we're almost through this year. We can joke. Uh, and who doesn't need to joke in 2020? So uh, let's finish the podcast by talking about a joke of a narrative that's been going around, and you might have heard this. Uh, and the narrative goes that uh, since 1980, I don't know why they picked 1980. Oh, yes, I do. Um, abortions have declined much more under Democratic presidents than they have Republican presidents. And that's because, as they are hinting with this meme or narrative, whatever you want to call it, is that these uh, the democratic social policies and spending is what reduces abortions and those mean Republicans don't really want to reduce abortions or their policies uh, don't let women do that. Um, it's not a good narrative for a couple important reasons. The first one is you can't just start it at 1980. You need to start it at 1973 when Roe v. Wade was overturned. And what happened? Um, under two uh, Republican presidents, Nixon and Ford, who were not at all really keen on doing anything about abortion, um, abortion skyrocketed because it had been legalized. And then under Jimmy Carter, who, yes, did exist and was a president for four years. Happy birthday. But... Happy birthday. Mm -hmm. Unlike this <laughs> narrative that pretends that he doesn't exist or didn't matter. In his four years, uh, he didn't do anything on the issue, and abortions kept skyrocketing. 
It wasn't until Reagan came along, the first pro-life president that uh, in the modern era, that abortion, that abortion skyrocketing increase stopped. And in fact, he, he and along with his predecessor, um, or excuse me, successor. successor, thank you, George H.W. Bush, initiated a decline that's been continuing since. And that decline has been through Clinton, Obama, both Bushes. It's been fairly steady. The trend hasn't really changed too much. And why has it been declining since then? Well, there's a ton of different factors, but this narrative going around ignores states that have passed pro-life laws. We know that bans on tax funding of abortion, parental consent laws, informed consent, ultrasound viewing laws all reduce abortions. Uh, there's been economic ebbs and flows in that uh, that have made a big difference. Generally, we see when times get bad, abortions will increase. And when times are going good, abortions will decrease uh, a little bit. Uh, so that factors in. Uh, public opinion factors in. You know, after Roe versus Wade, abortion became uh, almost a non-issue. And then in the 1980s, the pro-life movement really found its footing. And then um, there's even speculation, and this is why Robert Bork, uh, they tried to destroy him was, well, they succeeded in destroying a Supreme Court nomination. Was they afraid the Supreme Court would overturn Roe versus Wade in 1992? And they almost did. Uh, ultimately, they upheld Roe, but they allowed all sorts of new pro-life laws, like we mentioned, parental consent, informed consent, etc., um, to take place. And then uh, after that, public opinion kind of took a swing in favor of abortion, uh, kind of sharply in the early Clinton years, and the pro-life movement was really worried until partial birth abortion came along as an issue in the mid-90s and moving forward, and that really changed the abortion debate, and so now we're kind of stuck in this sort of, I don't want to call it 50-50 because there's a huge mushy middle, but where abortion views are pretty evenly divided in the country, and that's where we've been ever since. And so there's all these sorts of issues that go into it, and it's not really the president's. One other big issue, if you look at the CDC numbers that this narrative goes off of in the Clinton years, there's this huge drop in 1998, Emily. Well, what happened in 1998? California stopped reporting. So if you're the state that is, is the most abortions and the highest abortion rate by far in the United States and you stop reporting your numbers, did those abortions stop happening? No. 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 And so... Uh, the narrative gives Bill Clinton credit for reducing hundreds of thousands of abortions that were still going on. They were still going on. And that's because the people who, who, who have this narrative going, uh, they know enough about numbers to pretend Jimmy Carter didn't exist and start, the, start looking there, but they totally miss that, that Bill Clinton you know, presided over the largest state deciding we're not going to report numbers anymore. And it, the number dropped California at that time. When we say their abortion rate was the highest in the nation, it was over double the national average. So this was a massive number of abortions that just stopped being reported to the CDC. Yeah. Yeah. That's like uh, just not something that... It's something so big that anyone looking at numbers, abortion numbers, has to know. And if they don't know that, then don't trust their expertise because they don't know what they're talking about. And we've seen this. Uh, 
this isn't new. This has been repeated uh, before Trump selection. This gets repeated all the time, and it's just not true. Um, and so there's a great article on our website, rtl.org, where we kind of debunk this myth, explain why it doesn't make a lot of sense, um, and that uh, it's really Supreme Court justices or how the president mainly impacts issue of abortion, which, of course, we're living through right now. Um, and so I'd encourage you to go all there, read it, share it. If you see that narrative going around, it's, it's pretty lazy. You know, the bottom line is, and this whole narrative that if we just, if we just push contraception enough, if we just spend enough on social policies, if we just support women enough, abortion will go away. And the basic problem with that is, has that ended abortion anywhere? It's increased abortion. No. In a lot of places. It hasn't ended abortions anywhere. Nowhere has it fixed the problem, and it totally misses the beat that the point of the being pro-life and this abortion issue is, is the unborn child a human being? Do they have human rights? If they do, you should be for banning abortion. If they don't, you shouldn't care about what abortion numbers are at all because they're not human beings and they don't matter. So that's what you should be focusing on in your arguments. It's a simple question. Is the unborn child a human being? Do they have human rights? Jimmy Carter exists. Yes, he does. Three important So does California. And so. California is sadly still leading the country in abortions. All right, that's all we have for this edition. Join us next week for our special Faith in Life feature. And then again in two weeks for our regular podcast. Have a wonderful fall weekend.